Welcome to the Elevate Your Event podcast, where we talk about how to plan and execute an unforgettable event that will dazzle your guests and generate more income for your organization. From fundraising and securing trendy auction items to event production and logistics, get the best tips and advice from seasoned fundraising and event professionals who have been in your shoes. Hey, welcome back to the Elevate Your Event podcast. And we have a special presentation we're going to do on this episode. We're going to replay a panel discussion that I was recently on for the NX Unite webinar series. And this one was on emerging trends and fundraising strategies for 2024. And we had a great cast of moderators and, and panelists on here talking about trends, lessons learned, how emerging technologies can play into your fundraising strategies in 2024. So we're going to play this. If you guys have any questions about this, again, reach out to us. If this is a podcast that you want to share, please do that. If you're liking the Elevate Your Event podcast, also please give us a five-star review. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, and anywhere else that you might be listening to your podcast. So enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our panel. My name is Colleen Carroll, and I serve as NX Unite Lead here at Nexus Marketing and will be your moderator for today's panel. Our topic is efficient event prep strategies for fundraising events. And as usual, I'm really excited to jump into the conversation, but I do have a few quick logistics to cover. NX Unite is made in partnership with Nexus Marketing and serves as a powerful community resource designed to foster connections and facilitate lasting relationships within the mission-driven sector. NX Unite serves as a central hub for connection, and on it you can find upcoming industry events, suggested influencers to follow, trusted solutions, and cause to run podcasts. NX Unite also provides webinars, demos, and of course, panels with experts, such as the lovely folks here with me today. All right, today's hour-long panel will include time both for questions curated by my team and questions from you all, our fantastic audience. So at any time during the panel session, please feel free to start submitting your questions either directly in the chat or in the questions tab, and we'll use the second half of the session to address as many as we possibly can. The earlier you get your questions in, the more likely we will be able to address them and the more likely we'll be able to get through a larger number of questions. So if you have already come into this session with an idea of what you want to make sure we talk about, please feel free to start submitting your questions even right now. If at any point you're having any technical difficulties or have any logistics issues, please let us know. My colleague Malou is here under the Team NX Unite username and will be keeping an eye out on the chat. We'll be reaching out to anyone who's expressed any difficulty. So give a little holler in the chat, let us know what's happening, and we'll figure out how to get you back on and enjoying the session as quickly as possible. I did also want to mention that this panel session is being recorded. So if you get to the end and the insight you heard was just so fantastic, you need to hear it a second time right away. That's awesome news. It's going to automatically be in your email inbox at the end of the session. Just give it a few minutes after we wrap up and you'll have access to that recording. The session will also continue to be accessible on the NX Unite website in the on-demand panel uh, section of the website. So if you have any friends in the industry who you're like, they needed to be there, that session was perfect for them, please feel free to share that same registration you used to sign up and they'll be able to access the recording. All right, finally, before I introduce today's panelists, I do want to give a big thank you to our audience, whether you are joining us live and letting us know in the chat that you are here and where you're calling in from, or you're watching the recording tomorrow, a week from now, a month from now, 
Thank you so much for taking time out of your day for being part of our NXUNIT community. Hope this panel is helpful. And if you are joining us live, I hope you'll submit those questions. We can address the topics most relevant to you and your team. All right. To begin with the introductions, I'd first like to introduce Cody Hayes, who is the CEO and founder of Marketing Mission, a digital marketing firm that helps nonprofit organizations use marketing tools and resources to advance progressive social change. With over seven years of nonprofit experience, Cody's happiest days are spent behind his computer screen helping other nonprofits change the world. He helps organizations grow their impact through creative, data-driven digital marketing. So glad to have you here today, Cody. Also joining us today is Jason Champion, who is the Vice President of Business Development at Winspire, a global provider of luxury experiences for charity auctions and fundraisers. He is responsible for the next stage cor corporate brand vision as the company's branding leader, driving performance via product and service innovation, strategic brand planning and positioning, multi-platform content marketing and communications, creative digital campaigns, customer success, and business development. So glad you could be here today, Jason. Glad to be here. Excited to have this happen. Me too. Also joining us today is Jeff Porter, founder and CEO at Handbid. Jeff is no stranger to fundraising events, having participated in them for over 25 years. He ran his first fundraiser in 2005 and has managed over 50 auction events and fundraisers for his own charities, not to mention hundreds more with Handbid. Jeff has been involved in technical product and software development since 1996, and has built and managed mobile app solutions since 2008. Glad to have you, Jeff. Absolutely happy to be here. Here also with us today is Lauren Batterby, who is the CEO and founder of Life Event Staffing, providing specialized auction staff for fundraising and corporate events across North America, serving both the United States and Canada. With over 10 years of industry experience, Lauren's expertise lies in fundraising events and silent auction technology. So glad you could be here, Lauren. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Finally, here with us today is Roger Devine, who is partner and marketing director at School Auction. He is an experienced marketing professional with a focus on helping Sorry. small businesses, technology startups, and nonprofit organizations. Roger has extensive experience in the software, merchant processing, and publishing industries. So glad you could be here, Roger. Hey there, everyone. everyone. All right, it is finally time for me to stop talking and for us to jump into the actual session. And Cody, I'm going to have you start us off with our very first question. What have the past few years taught us about events and how should we bring those lessons into future events? Good question. So raise your hand if the, in the past three years, you kind of had a, a oh, poop moment. What the heck are we going to do when it comes to events? Yeah. So I think the past few years really taught us this importance of resilience and adaptability. And I know we hear resilience like a thousand million times in the nonprofit world. It's kind of like as the world of technology and the way we're interacting with people continuously, it's changing. I think some of the traditional ways that we raise money may become outdated. And so and may also exclude some potential donors. So I think what is nice about this influx of technology that we're seeing right now, whether that be with AI or having to pivot during the pandemic to virtual events. And I think what that taught me and what we brought to clients was this power of 
bringing people together through community and it doesn't have to be a paid experience for people and it doesn't have to cost to get into the door because once they're in the door that's when they're going to be like embracing you hugging you loving on you and but sometimes that admission fee is just like oh that's the barrier and the between them actually getting involved, attending your event and not. And so I think what we're seeing now is folks are going back into in-person events. I keep telling them, great, have your in-person gala, but also live stream that thing. And don't put a ticket price on that live stream. Because if folks, how often do you get folks sitting at home giving you an hour of undivided attention? Like that's an incredible opportunity. So I think in this world of what the past few years have taught us is there's power in leveraging this technology and what we can do to bring it into the future is with, in our future events is being intentional with leveraging that technology to be more inclusive and to expand our reach in a way that brings our community together rather than makes certain folks realize, oh, I don't know if I can attend that event because I don't know if it's in my budget. Thank you so much, Cody, for starting us off there. Jason, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. What have we learned from the past few years and what do we need to take with us? Yeah, I mean, definitely the past few years have presented numerous challenges, but it's also provided us opportunities and valuable lessons to learn for event planning and management. You know, as Cody said, you know, embrace flexibility, you know, have a backup plan. As I've always said, yes, you may have planned to have this centerpiece, that food, that speaker. You know, no one knows if that changes except for yourself. So that's that's you as an organization. Nobody's going to sit down at your table and go, oh, man, they did not have tulips in this centerpiece. And they're not going to be upset about that. They only know that about you. So don't bring that own self you know, inflicting pain onto yourself, you know, make sure that you prioritize safety and the well-being of your guests. Make sure that you're hitting any kind of protocols that are in place, making sure that people are accessible, you know, and embracing in inclusivity. Make sure there are no barriers to be able to participate. If it's physical barriers, mental barriers, financial barriers, make sure that you can address those prior to the event happening so you don't hear after the fact, oh, I wasn't able to attend because, you know, one of the best things that ever happened out of the pandemic for the nonprofit industry it finally pushed everybody into using technology, even though we want to pride ourselves on being forefront runners in the industry of doing certain things and being socially conscious, you know, that accelerated the adaptation of digital solutions. So leveraging technology to the attendee, to, it elevates the experience, facilitates remote participation. You know, those are all great things, but one thing that is always true, always fact, communication is key. You know, clearly and consistent communication is essential, is essential. And by incorporating those lessons, you know, organize, organizers can create a safer, more inclusive, engaging, successful experience for attendees while adapting to the evolving landscaping of event planning. Thank you so much, Jason. I'm excited to hear from the rest of our panelists, but very quickly, I want to let our live audience know that a poll has gone live. We've asked you all, how different are your events today in comparison to a few years ago? So if you want to kind of contribute to the conversation, let us know where you're coming from. 
please feel free to go and fill out that poll. All right, Jeff, I'm excited to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the last few years and the lessons we need to take from them? Well, I think just to kind of pick up where Jason left off, I think it did teach us that people are willing to use technology to connect with us. So I know, you know, obviously we've been doing mobile bidding for since 2011, so a long time, but, you know, I still think there was kind of that lingering, you know, hesitancy from some charities to try it, thinking that it might be either too much of a risk or, you know, their guests or their donors wouldn't like it. And I think that was all kind of, you know, I would say proven to, to, to not be the case when it came to having to move everything online. Right. And, and that goes for a lot of industries, not just the fundraising industry. I mean, my dad is 80 something years old, had to learn how to cash his checks on his iPhone. So, you know, all of those things were things that kind of forced people into it. And I think that all worked out. I think the other thing that we saw that I thought was, and even for my own events was true, was that it gave us an excuse to change things because we were changing everything or we were forced to do things, even when we came out of COVID and not having to do a virtual event, we felt like we had, a, you know, just maybe a little bit more courage to, to kind of change things up on the post side of this. And I saw some really good results from that. I see the last thing I would add to this that I think a lot of our clients learned is you need to let your donors make decisions for themselves and you cannot make them for them. And in the you know, in the past, you know, we'd get on the phone with people and they would say, oh, my donors aren't going to use, you know, an app or my donors aren't going to use their phone at an event. You know, we're like, well, how do you know? Like, have you asked them? Have you tried it? You know, and then what we heard during COVID is, oh, well, I can't ask my donors for money because they're financially hurting. Well, how do you know they're financially hurting? Some people were not hurting at all. Obviously, some people were, you know, and we would encourage them to say, well, throw it out there, run your fundraiser, don't cancel your fundraiser. I mean, you're doing something important, right? You're curing cancer or, you know, whatever it might be. And, and those problems are going to be around for a long time. COVID won't be around forever. So your donors understand that you have a huge task in front of you. And so give them the opportunity to say yes, and then take that mentality and kind of take that, you know, past COVID into everything you do beyond that. So you know, will your donors pay $10,000 for a trip to Tuscany? Find out, right? Don't make that decision up front, right? You know, will my donors donate $10,000 in a paddle raise? Well, if you don't ask, you don't know. So, you know, a lot of those things, I think, as we've kind of seen the events kind of evolve back into physical events, we are pleased to see the courage that a lot of our clients are taking saying, Yes, I stopped making decisions on behalf of my guests and donors, and I'm going to continue to stop making decisions on behalf of them. I'll, I'll use the data from my event to kind of inform what I do in the future. Great. Thank you so much, Jeff. Lauren, over to you. What have we learned from the past few years and what do we need to take with us? Thanks, Colleen. Well, it's nice to know we're all on the same page, guys, isn't it? I'm about to say embrace technology, please. That is what we learn from the pandemic and I'm seeing it moving forward with us and use technology to widen your audience. You know, that, that is what we learn. And there are so many uses of different types of technology. I'm not just talking about using it for a silent auction, using it for your ticket sales, even if they were remote ticket sales at the time, the use of social media as well. Like I think a lot of nonprofits really did embrace the fact of how they could push out 
their event when it was virtual at the time to to be able to again be be wider spread both we were all show at home indoors and I don't have the statistics but I would love to hear if the nonprofits did see an influx of where their their audience was coming from if I was to then lend advice to to how to carry on with this use of technology within our events moving forward is use tech experts because at the end of the day that is still what your audience wants to see no matter whether they are sat in the room with you or outside of the room no one wants to see technology fail no one wants to see a a stuttering video okay so if you've got the right tech team on site making sure it runs smoothly you've got your auction team making sure that that software that you're using has also run smoothly throughout the night if it's the ease of pushing a button to be able to log in purchase a ticket and then bid or donate then there is your streamline event and technology offers all of that to us at the moment and again to to second what everybody else have said we have found that audiences don't make decisions for for your donors anymore they can use their phones you know as much as they try to say oh no i don't know what i'm doing well hi we actually have staff on site that can assist you with that as well this is how you do it this is how you press the the buttons and then majority of the time we get there and they say oh i've been bidding all week i know exactly what i'm doing fantastic so embrace the technology wonderful thank you so much lauren all right roger any final thoughts on what the past few years have taught us first of all what they said because that's all really smart stuff and you should listen to the really smart people that are here but I'm going to give you a little bit of a different perspective. Having heard that, I agree with what's out there. But there's an element that I, that I, I, I think we should should explore the nuance on a little bit, which is that we're talking about fundraising events. We're not talking about your total fundraising mix. We discover ways in which our donors wanted to interact with us, et cetera. But one of the things that we're learning coming out of the pandemic, you know, over the last say nine months, the most frequent attitude that I've gotten back from our customers is thank you so much for that whole virtual live streaming auction thing that you did that was really useful and really saved our bacon and I never ever ever want to do another one ever again because they're not any fun you know the thing the place that events have in the fundraising mix is that they are social fundraising it is social fundraising people want to get together I think one of the things that we knew ahead, we knew before the pandemic, but is now coming back and is more emphasized is we can do social fundraising. There's a portion of our supporter base who wants to support us through social events. And there's a portion of our supporter base that wants to support us by doing a fancy social event, by putting on fancy clothes and going out and acting as if we've all got more money than we do. This is a portion of what happens that makes fundraising events work. And as much as we want to democratize them and spread our reach out, the the thing that I would emphasize is we definitely want to democratize our fundraising. We definitely want to spread our reach out, but we're going to use multiple tools in the fundraising mix to do that. And I think we should use events to do what events are good at doing. 
You know, they're not a part of every nonprofit's fundraising mix for various reasons. We're going to, you know, talk about some of the challenges involved in putting them on. But I think what's coming out of this is that everybody really wants to get back together again. And then one other thing that I haven't heard mentioned so far is that the other big learning coming out, and this may segue into our innovative strategies question, Colleen. So, you know, maybe I should go first on that since I went last this time. Come on. But the, the idea being that silent auctions, if that's going to be a portion of your event, if you're going to incorporate a silent auction as one of the little elements of your fundraising event, they don't have to go back into the ballroom. They came out of the ballroom for the pandemic. And a lot of our customers like, hmm, you know, that part I don't need to bring back. I don't need to haul between 30 and 80 items and set them up on tables. And then at the end of the night, pull them all back down and get them to the right people. I can do all of that online ahead of time. I still want to have a gala. I still want to do a live auction. I still want to do a fund to need. Still want to do a raffle. I want to have that. I want to serve people dinner and do all of that. But that silent auction component, many of my customers have said they're done with doing that inside the physical present event. So Thank you so much, Roger. Very quickly, I want to check in on that poll. We asked you how different are your events today in comparison to a few years ago. 70% of you said we've made minor adjustments, but mostly the same. And 30% of you said significantly different. So it seems like no one is doing the exact same thing that they were doing a few years ago, which is frankly not a surprise, but nice to hear. All right, we are off to a really great start. I am already learning a ton, but I want to be mindful of time. So I'm actually going to condense our second and third questions panelists. So be aware of that just to give us a little bit more time because I think they are related. So appreciate that. Roger, you were right. I am starting off with you this time. So I'm going to have you start us off. The two questions that I'm combining are what are those innovative strategies that we can use for successful fundraising events? And what are some key elements that contribute to a really successful event? Okay, thank you. And I'll be, I'll be a little more concise here. If I'm going to give you one tip for an innovative strategy that you may not have incorporated into your fundraising event before, here you go. Incorporate recurring donations as part of your special appeal. You know, bring, if you're going to do a special appeal, if you're going to do a fund and need, a direct ask, whatever you call it, people are being, are used to being asked for a big chunk of money. Give them the option to give you multiple smaller chunks of money. That's easier for some people. That's going to make it possible for you to democratize the reach on this. So that's my one innovative strategy I want to toss out. The other thing about a, you know, a, a, a memorable or a, an impactful event, I think we want to start with make sure your event is well-organized and well-staffed and that as much as possible, you front load as much of the work involved in managing your guest flow before the event. Make sure you have, you know, a button down ticket list. You got all of your procedures ready to go and that everybody who is going to be working that event understand what it is that your organization is going to be asking your attendees to do and what the challenges might be involved in them actually doing those things. You should make sure that you've done as much work as possible a week ahead of the event. Thank you so much, Roger. Jeff, over to you. How, what are those innovative strategies we can use for a successful event and any key elements we should be keeping in mind when we're planning? Yeah, 
you know, just to kind of start and kind of pick up where Roger left off, you know, the, the question was around successful event. And I do think that charities should be doing events and, and it needs to be part of their entire fundraising mix. It can't, you know, I think when you're smaller, it's probably maybe the only thing you're doing, but events are a great entry point into a relationship with a new donor. Okay. So I think that is something that's critical when you're thinking about how do I grow my donor base? That's a good way to do it. Okay. I think one of the elements that I look, I've been doing fundraising a long time around my own fundraising event. I have a mobile bidding company. I don't love building auctions either. Okay. I don't love silent auctions. I don't like going out and getting the items for it, but it is necessary. All right. Because you have to give people a way to engage with you at an event. Not everybody walking in that door is ready to donate $100 or $1,000 to your charity. Okay. They might spend $1,000 in your silent auction and walk away with some basket of meaningless stuff. And now you have their name, their email address, their phone number, and you've got some sort of financial transaction with them so you can thank them. So I think it's, it's just part of the mix. You know, there's, there's a variety of things that you have to have in your fundraising event. I think Roger, I love Roger's idea of, you know, turn one of your asks into a recurring, right? Why not? You know, that, that creates a lasting relationship for those that are ready to do it. You need to ask for money. I know that's odd, but I just went to an event. They spent all this time and effort organizing it and we get through the event. We're in like the, probably I would say the third quarter of this entire event and they decide to cancel the appeal. And I was like, why? <laughs> They're all in the room. There's 500 people here. You have to ask them for money, right? Well, we were afraid that they weren't in the giving mood. Again, that's someone making a decision on behalf of their donors, but we've talked about that. So the last thing I would mention in terms of how you make an event effective is you need to use technology. And again, that's like the repetitive thing everybody's saying here, but you don't just need to use technology. You need to use technology from a company with their staff who know how to help you run a successful fundraiser. If you want to go buy technology off the shelf and find the cheapest thing there and try to figure out how to do it on your own, you can do that. I think you're going to run the risk of creating a frustrating donor experience. Even possibly more frustrating than just using paper bid sheets and just checking people in at the door off of a spreadsheet. Okay. Cause I've seen it get worse. So, you know, I'm sure Lauren will, will back me on this one here. When you decide you're going to employ some sort of technology company, you need to understand how that technology can be effectively used to run a seamless guest check-in. How can I minimize the weight up front? You're talking about creating a memorable experience. Well, creating a memorable experience can't mean they wait in line for an hour to get in. And it certainly can't mean that they wait in line an hour to get out. Okay. That's why we built Hambid in the first place, because our memorable guest experience the year before we launched Hambid was people waiting in line an hour to get out of the building. Okay. So think about that. Think about the people that are running your event. I get it. It costs a little bit of money, right? To invest in, you know, not just the technology platform, but possibly the staff that will come in there and do it, but it will save you in the long run because you stand to lose, I would say a much more valuable relationship with an individual. I wouldn't say necessarily at the event. I think people will give you money if, you know, even if they have to raise their hand and do it because the technology isn't working or whatever. But in terms of a long time lasting relationship, it's difficult to do that if you're frustrating your guests in and out the door. 
Thank you so much, Jeff. Lauren, over to you. Thoughts on innovative strategies and how can we incorporate key elements into our events? Thank you. And thanks, Jeff. You've led me in quite nicely. Off the back of what you are saying, I think I might be touching on the final question here, but budget and prioritizing your investment and what is your return on investment with the money that you spend, like choosing the correct platform to make sure it's robust enough to run the event that, that you need, making sure the staff are there to not miss a bid. Right. Okay. That old near is out there and you've got a couple of volunteers that are like deers in headlights because they've not done that before. And then $10,000 just went out the window. And we've got no idea where it was in the room. Okay. That would never happen if you had someone that was doing this multiple times a week. The data is collected, enter into a system and a stream, a seamless payment is then collected by, by the end of the night because there were professionals on site who knew what they were doing and experts within the technology. As much as we all love a good dance at the end of the night, your two, three thousand dollar band is not going to recoup those fees for you the same way your technology, your staff, and also your auctioneers. You know, everyone knows that you've probably got Steve on table three who tells a few really good jokes. So yeah, let's get him up next year. No. Not if he doesn't speak clearly enough, not if he's following the best practices of what our auctioneers have been trained how to do. They're worth their weight in gold by the end of the night because they could have doubled, doubled your funds. So really prioritize in your budget and where your spend is and how you are going to recoup that, that back. Yeah, I, I think that really is sort of full stop, underline best way you can strategize towards running your event. Key features, just because I feel like I've got a fun story to tell. So if I can have an extra minute. Coming from a real life event, it was back in London. It was a few years back. And this is off the back of what I was saying about strong auctioneers. You don't need to spend a fortune to be creative either. Okay. This charity we were at that night were building a school in Africa. And they decided to run their appeal moment with, I suppose, tangible effect is where I'm going. Each person, no matter how much you donated in the room, knew where their value for what they gave that night was going. So, for instance, the auctioneer started off at the very top. Who in the room will give me £20,000, as it was at this event? Who will give me £20,000? This will put the roof on our school. Okay, it was at least three, four hands in the room. So we had four rooms, which is fine. Next level down, who's going to be the bricks and mortar of this event? Who's going to put the walls on this school? Who'll give me 15,000? Again, a few more hands are going up. He then did windows, doors, tables, chairs, all the way down to books and stationery at the $50 level. And I'm telling you, I don't think there was a hand in the room that didn't go up. And they all left with that giving glory feeling of they knew what they had given, whether it had been the roof at the 20,000 high rollers or whether they knew they'd just given their books and, and stationery to the children of, of the school. They left with that heartwarming feeling of giving and I've not seen it done very often. And I think it's actually a simple strategy. But again, that was down to the auctioneer on, on the night he made that work. 
you know. So again, really prioritize where your spend is because it really can have a huge impact on them. Great. Thank you so much, Lauren. Cody, over to you. Thoughts on how we can use innovative strategies with our events and any key elements we need to consider. Absolutely. So I'm going to take a little bit more of a branding and marketing approach to this and say that over the events that we've done for the past three years, the most successful ones have had a common theme tied to them in the sense of like, they came up with a theme for their events that had a meaning and a purpose, and, and we rolled with that. And so and in fundraising, I think this theme uh, or creating this co- cohesive event theme kind of taps into the emotional side of donors. And it also just like gives us as marketers like a really nice handy dandy like touch point to always be like, if our theme is raised the bar, I'm going to use musical references in the language that we're using. Like, I want to make sure that um, the promo graphics look like they're a concert in the design. Like, how can we really bring all of that together through your logo design, your event tagline, the words people are saying when they're actually there on stage at your event and through these photos, videos, textures, things like that. I think we were talking about not knowing whether or not someone, Jeff, you mentioned the story of like, they pulled out at the last second because they weren't sure if their audience was ready. In a branded room, in a branded experience where folks for the last seven, eight weeks have been hammered with this thing, like raise the bar, raise the bar, they're expecting these, you know, colors, these five, then they if we see it, it's so overwhelming, like, whoa, everything in this room is feeling like what was sold to me, right? We're following through on this promise that we sold to folks and say, hey, you are familiar with this. We've created an invited, inviting space, even though we are in an empty warehouse and it looked cool. And, and so and with that, I think able to tie together this overall theme is really important. So I'll give a very, very specific example. In 2020, we worked with the children of Armenia Fund and we were, they were struggling because they were like, ah, got to go online with our in-person gala, which happens in New York City, very glitz and glam. And what do we do? And so we had this conversation of like, okay, well, we need to bring in a theme. We need to do something to where, because you're not necessarily going to get that experience in person. And how do we build that online? And, and so we were just talking with them, with the development director. And, and literally, development director's mom walks in the background, who is from Armenia. And he was like, hey, mom, what, like, what is it about a co-op that just like makes you love it so much? And she's like, you're always moving mountains for Armenia. And, and we were like, oh, 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 you know, the neurons were firing. And then it's development director coming back in and being like, oh, actually, our campus sits at the base of this very famous mountain uh, that is very culturally significant to uh, these folks. And so we're like, this is perfect. Let's roll with this. And then so we play on this moving mountains. We build this logo that has that actual mountain from Armenia in it. 
and giving these people a sense, giving folks a sense of nostalgia. And through that, even though we were in the midst of the global pandemic and lots of civil unrest in, in Armenia, and that theme and com, com, bringing people together through this unity of, yes, we are, even through all of this, we are moving mountains for the children of Armenia, help them raise over four and a half million dollars for their event. Thank you so much, Cody. All right, Jason, ready to hear your thoughts. How can we have an impactful fundraising event with either particular key elements or innovative strategies? Yeah, innovative strategy. You should run your event and your nonprofit like a business. Let's, let's talk about building up to that event where we've all used the word sponsorships for years. I want you all to take that out of your vocabulary. That's not listed in business. It's not in business school. We don't go out and ask for sponsorships. We talk about partnerships, collaboration. I think it's important that you, when you're going to build these kind of packets that are asking for money to help build that event and build that experience, build it around a partnership. What is opportunity for that business to have the exposure for naming or product placement and personalized engagement with that nonprofit? Because every nonprofit has its own calls and it's unique and it's, it's essential to tailor those strategies to align with your organization, your mission, your target, your audiences, your resources. So innovation comes when you're thinking creatively and finding ways to engage with those new supporters and then inspired supporters. As far as building an impactful event, the thing needs to be immersive. Build it immersively, build experiences that once you walk in the door, as Cody said, you're hit with it. Sight, sound, smell, taste, feel everything that you can do with that is build that story. From the time I open that invitation, that invitation better reflect the centerpieces, tablecloths, food, entertainment, and everything that way. So when I am walking into that area, I know exactly what I was getting. I know exactly why I paid $250 for that ticket because it became a unique, memorable experience that was integrated and immersive. You know, and then always, always, always make it seamless for the donor experience, make it easy for them to donate, make it easy for them to see what you're doing, make it clear and consistent. And, you know, always have thoughtful recognition and appreciation of those partnerships that you develop before that event happens. That's it. Thank I'll you so much. For all of y'all. <laughs> awesome. Roger, did you want to jump back in very quickly? Very quickly. We talked throughout this little round robin here. I agree with everybody that you want to bring technology into your event. I too sell technology help you. But the, the thing that I wanted to put in place here is that we've been talking about bringing in people who know what they're doing with your technology, people who are experts being able to help you use that. And there's always some pushback and that's always a bit of a, a discussion of a nonprofit. And all I'd say is this, you're probably going to have a mix of some people from your organization that are doing things and some people that you're hiring to bring in. Make sure the people that are the amateurs the people that are the volunteers, the people that are the, the doobies that are helping you, make sure that they know what they're doing. Make sure that whatever task you've assigned to them, they know what they're doing. I had a fairly frustrating conversation with a prospect just yesterday where this woman who is the development director wanted to run a fundraising event told me, I don't have time to learn how to use your technology. Okay, that's fine. You know, I, I'm not telling you that you do have time. I don't want to argue with you on that. But if you don't, you're not going to get a good experience out of the technology. So maybe you should hire somebody to help you use it. 
if you're, you know, the other way to go there is that if you're not going to hire somebody, commit to learning what you need to learn, please. Read the documentation, things like that. Thank you so much, Roger. I think Thank you, you and I both feel that pain, Roger. I'm with you on that <laughs> one. I'm sure we do. Amazing. All right, we've had some awesome audience questions come in, so I'm going to briefly pivot over to some of those. However, to our panelists, if you weren't really hoping to answer that final question that I had sent over in advance, send me a quick message in the chat and I'll make sure to get you to answer it. But I do want to make sure we address some of our audience questions from the session. Lauren, I'm going to have you start us off. There was a question in the chat that asked, how do you help clients decide on headcount of event workers paid based on registration of guests? One event worker per 25 guests, what other KPIs can you use to help them decide, example, type of fundraiser event, paddle raise, silent live auctions, et cetera? Yeah, no problem. Happy to answer that one. We get asked that question all the time, obviously, when we're advising. And it's actually, I mean, one per 25, we do one per 75 with with our staff we're good if not that that good right that if you're using technology there is i don't know the average of how many minutes it takes to to check someone to check someone in but you've got to make sure that information is correct that it's going into the technology platform are we taking a credit card at the same time are we giving them a paddle is that number correct so it's really crucial you know to making sure we we get that right in the first place because obviously if we're handing out a paddle number that doesn't match what's in the system again we've lost a donation obviously that never happens when we use our team but it is extremely crucial to funds on the night so for our staff it's 75 guests for every one check-in worker yeah. if we were having volunteers and i had to advise i would say it's more like 100 people Sorry, it would be one staff for 100 people. We, we would go for, for volunteers as well. So if we can do a mix, you know, we, that's how we tend to, to advise. As for the KPIs on planning out the event, that's a good one for everyone, actually. Because, again, we're all going to push silent auction. We're all going to say, oh, obviously a live auction because we know how key an auctioneer can be you've got to have that appeal because you've got to be asking for your money just like Jeff said at the end of the day they know why they are there we shouldn't feel ashamed to have that ask throughout the evening you you would have to I would definitely do a form of consultation to find out exactly what had worked for them in the past were they willing to try something new who were the key donors that they have in their room who are those repeat donors that keep coming every year? Do they want to see how are we keeping their demographic involved with with the evening? So that's quite a broad one to answer. So I would be interested to see how the other guys can, can answer that one too. Thank you, Lauren. Anyone want to jump here on this one? Jeff? Yeah. And then yeah, Roger? I'm sure Roger's going to want to do too. You know, We've toyed around with different metrics on how many people you need to check in. And honestly, it comes down to how good is your guest list? And also, like, what are you asking your check-in staff to do? I mean, we've done everything from code checks to validating parking to figuring out what stamp they need on the back of their paddle for their meal. Like, so the, the more of that stuff you ask your check-in staff to do, the longer it can take to check-in parties. Okay, so I would say, 
we try to get a sense of that. Our rule of thumb, we're maybe a little more conservative than Lauren. Lauren, we work with a lot of Lauren's staff at our events and they're good. So they can check in 75 people per person. We tend to recommend to people one to 50, but we're talking about one to 50, I would say parties that we're checking in. Okay. Because when people walk in, they're typically walking in as a, a couple or a group. Not everybody in that group is going to bid. We, if you have a great guest list, we can check in all the people coming in, and then we need to register the one or two people in that part, in that group that might actually be bidding. Swipe their card, give them their paddle number, you know, stamp their ticket, check their coat, whatever else, you know, give give them the three raffle tickets and the two drink tickets and the gold coin and the necklace, whatever. So, all that kind of stuff. I think we would do on a per party basis as it pertains to metrics and KPIs. I mean, I think we talk about goals and our, and they're all built into our software. Everything inside of our software is, you know, basically built around goals. So the thermometers all have to go off of goals. If you don't know specifically what you want to raise or what you expect to raise, you're probably going to have a conversation with our staff to help you figure it out. Otherwise the thermometers are meaningless, right? And that's from a live auction to a paddle raise down to, you know, a silent auction, looking at fair market value and what you think you might be able to get out of the items there, assuming your fair market value is accurate on the items that you put in there. But when I come into an event, I'll look at to see how engaged the audience is. I'll look at bid per active bidder. Uh, I think in the past, the rule of thumb in the industry was looking at bids per item. We don't care about bids per item as much. I think that can also be kind of manipulated by bid increments, but bid proactive bidder says how engaged and connected is this audience into your auction on the silent auction side. On the appeal side, we encourage our clients to say, how many people are a new donor in the room? You know, go back and look through your report. If you've connected your software to your CRM, it might be able to tell you. Sometimes people have to pull down the appeals list and say who, who donated this year. That's either A, new to my organization, new to my event, or maybe they didn't donate last year. And then equally as much, who donated last year that came to your event and did not donate this year or did not participate so that you can try to figure out why. So I'll leave it there. There's a lot more we can talk about here, but we're running out of time. And I think Roger's much more wisdom than I am on this one. Uh, Jeff, I'm picking up, I'm definitely picking up what you're putting down there. And the data-driven approach is of course going to be how I too want to answer the KPI question. You know, your your KPI should draw from what you know about your supporter base and their past behaviors. It's one of the big reasons, it's one of the big benefits of bringing technology into your development department is to track this nonsense so that you can start using it to predict where you're going. I will say, you know, one little tidbit I can toss out here, pretty much averaged across our customer base across, you know, 15, 17 years now, those organizations that do a special appeal at their event take home about half the revenue in the event from the special appeal. It's almost always worth about half of what you do at the event. As long as you're planning it out correctly and you know who's coming and you, you know, you know how to put that experience together, you know, to, to have a successful appeal, it's going to be one of your big things there. With regards to how many people you need to work an event, again, we can give you we can give you rules of thumb here, and we've all got them. But you're going to want to do a little bit of an analysis, like Jeff was saying. What are you asking your check-in volunteers to do? How many steps are you are you asking them to execute there? 
one of my pieces of advice when I'm going to go work an event, and I do tend to work a lot of them, is that I'll say that if we are going to be validating parking, if we are going to have a coat check, that's a perfect place to deploy the volunteer you've got who you can't think of anywhere else you trust putting them. You know, if you've got one of those volunteers whose primary virtue is that they're eager, but not necessarily competent, have them stamp the valet parking, you know, the, have them validate the parking ticket, use that, use them for that. And then if you, again, getting back to front loading, this is a feature of our software. So I'm going to toot my own horn for a second. But if you can do advanced check-in where you get your guests to sit down and check in before they come to the event, you know, you're saving yourself a lot of work there and your, your ratio of staffing to, to guests can uh, can change as a result. So there you go. And self-checkout is even better. So Perfect. now I'm done. Thank you, Roger. Over to you, Jason, very quickly before we have to start wrapping up. Yeah. Thanks, Roger. I was the one that had to validate parking at one of the last events I went. So I, I'm very capable to do other things, but you know, I just, you know, I appreciate that. That's, that made me feel so valued at that moment. I love that you guys are talking about technology and pushing them and being able to measure KPIs, but you really can't measure good KPIs unless you have good items. And this is a shameless plug that's going to come back to me, being able to provide items at an experience level that's really unique bucket list kind of travel experiences that come from Windfire, windfireme.com. Yep, I'm doing that. Is the best place to find some great things. Work with companies like Jeff, like Roger, like Lauren, like Cody, because they are vetted professional organizations that are able to provide services that are only going to elevate your experience with your donors and your, your, your participants. So make sure that when you're out there looking at these companies and vetting folks, vet them, vet them thoroughly, vet the auctioneers that are talking in the chat over here. You know, it's one thing to be great on stage. It's another thing to be great on camera. Make sure that those do it across the board all the way. Make sure that you got the great marketing from Cody. And then you've got a technology platform that can back it all up with wonderful items. And then you got a slam dunk for an event. Thank you so much, Jason. All right. I do have to have us start wrapping up just because I did promise we would end on time. That said, I am fully aware we did not get to all the questions. I want to make sure to connect you to the people that can answer those questions. So my colleague Malu under Team NX Unite has just put a survey in the chat where you can let us know who here on our panel you absolutely need to be put in touch with so that they can answer your questions. I want to make sure we connect you with the right people. So go fill out that survey either now or right after the session. When we wrap up, you'll still have access to the chat. All right. I have one final question for our panelists to make sure we hear from them. Before I ask that, I realized someone in the chat asked if they will be able to share this session with other team members. The answer is yes. They'll be able to register on that same landing page that you used and they'll be able to access it. All right. Final question. And Cody, I'm going to have you start us off with it. In a few words, what do you see as the future of nonprofit events and how can nonprofits get ahead today? It's a big topic, but we're going to aim for short and sweet. Hybrid, that is my word, a combination of in-person and virtual, creating a unified experience for all attendees. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Cody. Over to you, Jason. Thoughts on the future and how we can get ahead today? The future is bright. Keep trucking along. Keep doing what you got to do, because if it wasn't for folks like you out there in this industry making a social difference, we would be in a worse shape. So keep up doing what you're doing. A bit 
events are going to come back, travels back, everything's back. Like get out, pound the pavement, make it work. We love what you guys do and appreciate you so much. Thank you for being out there and making the world a better place. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jason. Lauren, thoughts on the future and how we can get ahead today? Just ask everyone to carry on being flexible and open-minded. Look what the pandemic threw at us. Look how we made changes and look how successful it was. If we can make it through that, we can make it through anything. So whatever is thrown at the world to come, and I said, if we can just keep giving and just keep trying, again, just being open about whatever creativity we can bring to, to our industry, then that'll keep us all going. Wonderful. Roger, thoughts on the future and how we can get ahead today? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say that when I think about the future of fundraising events, I realize that everything I know about fundraising events, every trend that I have ever experienced, everything I've talked about, I've learned from our customers. So there's a hotbed of creativity out there amongst all of you. And basically just keep churning, okay? And because you're making it better every year. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Jeff, final thoughts on the future and how we can get ahead today. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a couple of trends we're seeing, and then I'll talk, I, I'm going to talk about something that Cody said, but we're seeing formal to more casual. So we're seeing more casual events than the past. I would say more food trucks and less full service catering at a lot of events. Now, I would say we're seeing a lot more in person and look, we do hybrid events. We do them in the commercial world as well. I guess most of our clients struggle with it. It's a little bit harder to pull off. Most of the auctioneers we work with aren't in the nonprofit world, aren't really trained on how to do a hybrid event. They're not used to having a remote audience. So it could, I like them honestly, but I'm curious to see whether or not they're really going to be as successful. You know, I think we, we do a lot of coaching. We actually run them because a lot of charities really struggle with how to pull that off as well. And then, but the one thing I will want to mention is, and this has came up before, but Artificial intelligence is going to change how events are run. We did a podcast on this recently. The technology that's coming out is probably scaring a lot of people that are on this call today, but it is kind of freaky and cool all at the same time. But everything from being able to have the artificial intelligence, the AI engines tell you based on who's coming off your guest list, what auction items are most likely to bid on, who has the highest propensity and probably the highest probability of donating certain amounts at your event. You can also look at the types of live auction items that might work the best based on their, based on their profiles as well. And it goes on and on and on. I mean, it's just really absolutely going to change. I mean, the stuff that today will write better event descriptions than most of you are writing in your mobile bidding technology anyway. So anyway, think about those things, figure out how to embrace the AI technology in your events coming up and just see how it goes. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. With that, we have reached the end of our panel. I want to give a huge thank you to our panelists. I know if we were in an in-person setting, there'd be a round of applause. So just know that I'm sharing that emotionally here with you all today. I do also want to give a big thank you to our audience. Thank you so much for being here. I hope this session answered some of your questions. And again, I, if we didn't answer your questions, I hope you'll reach out to people or put in our survey so we can connect you with the right person to answer them. I do also hope you will attend future NX Unite panels. It seems like we're going to need a 2.0 to this panel. I feel like event, event prep 2.0 is on the cards because there's so much to talk about with this amazing group of panelists. So 
Thank you for being here. We're supporting the amazing work that you're doing. You're doing a great job. We're rooting for you. Just let us know how we can be of any help. All right. That is it for me. Again, a huge thank you to our panelists, and I hope you all have a nice rest of your day. Bye, everyone.